0: specifically because there's some important information that's going to be given to you today and you really need to take it on board listen attentively and (coughs) practice it in your life. You know where when it says in the word head, it's the word shema. head. It means listen, but pay attention attentively. It doesn't just mean pay attention attentively, it also means when you hear it, Obey it and practice it immediately. Don't take your time, okay, to to just think about it and ponder it for months. No, when you hear it and you know it's true, listen to it attentively and obey it immediately because there are consequences and ramifications as a result of not doing that, okay? Alright, so. Little as well. Okay. Right, so where we're going to start off with is actually the Gospel of Mark, chapter four. I've got this there. It says, and this is Jesus. He said, and he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? Then how will you know all parables? You know what? that's a profound statement when you're teaching somebody and when you're instructing them with information, okay? He's saying, if you don't know this, you're not going to know any of the other parables. So you know what? You better really pay attention to this parable because it will give you the understanding for all the others. So Jesus Christ is actually saying that. Guess what? You better seriously pay attention to this parable and gain a thorough understanding of it because if you read all the other parables, you ain't going to understand them until you get a good comprehension and understanding of it. That's why it behooves all of us to make sure that we really put a lot of discipline and instruct and learning into learning this parable. Then start going, start reading the other parable, and you'll have a much better comprehension and understanding of it. Okay, so I'm going to read from Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter four, and I'm going to read from verses one through to twenty and I'm going to start off with this and we'll see why. It is actually important when we go into love of the world. From uh, Mark chapter four, verse one. So, could you just put it back to the first slide, Thank you. Okay. It says, and he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that they entered into a ship and set in the sea, and the whole multitude were by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, really pay attention to this. Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground. And it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And the other fell on good ground and it did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth 30, and some 60, and some 100. And he said unto them, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, he said, Shema, he who has ears to hear, let him listen and pay attention really attentively, and then obey immediately. Okay? And when he, and when he was alone, that they were about with him, the twelve asked him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto this, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without all these things are done in parables, that seeing they that seeing they may see and perceive and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, least at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? What we said at the beginning. If you don't know this, then you're not going to understand all the other parables. The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside, where, where, the word, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their heart. And these are they likewise. Which are sown on the the stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, um, when they heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, but have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. Afterwards, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended, and these are they which are sown among the thorns, which hear the word. And the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entereth in. Choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground. Such as hear the word, and receive it. Bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. Let's just then pray in our Lord bless blessed word. Father, thank you that uh, you've given us your word. You gave it to us, to teach us, to instruct us, so that we can live right before you. Lord, we pray that right now that uh, that is exactly what will take place. That you will teach us, lead us, guide us, and instruct us from your word. Your word is truth. And your truth sets us free. And we do need to be set free because there are many things in our lives that hold us. So set us free today, Lord. Let me not say what I want to say, but you speak, Father. That your word may be proclaimed, and the hearts and lives of people may be changed for one purpose: to give you glory, and for you to be honoured. May there be much fruit produced as a result of your word. It's your word; it's nobody else's. So, Father. We pray that you will be glorified through it today in Jesus' mighty name, Amen. Okay. Okay. So there's some really interesting things to notice from this parable itself. Okay. Most of the ground, if you notice, most of the ground on which the seed fell, okay, proved unfavorable. The ground was hard, shallow, and and thorny soil, so it was uncongenial for to produce much fruit. So if you notice that there wasn't much productivity, if you want to use that word, there wasn't much fruit produced as a result of the seed actually being sown. Okay? Also, external opposition would be encountered as a result of the work being sown. The birds of the air, which we know are ministers. Or say Satan, come away to catch and such, and snatch the actual word away. That should be easy now, getting sick. Okay, only a fraction of the seed sown yielded increase. Okay, Only a small amount, so this seed that's being thrown out is only producing a very, very small amount of productivity as a result of it being sown. Okay? It's interesting to know, and what you'll see is that throughout the ages, this is exactly true, and it, what actually happens. Okay, if you see, and if you want to... So, when was, if you notice that there's a decrease in the amount of productivity being produced, the numbers are being reduced, okay? It's going from 104, it's going to 60-fold, and then it's going to 30-fold, okay? So, when was the hundredfold actually produced? When was the seed fully thrown out? It produced a hundredfold during the time of the apostolic era. When they threw the seed out, the word produced a hundredfold. Okay, and you can see that as you go throughout the actual ages that that actually starts to decrease. Okay, so when did you get <coughs> sixtyfold? Okay, during the time of the Reformation, when there was a great revelation and understanding going back to the original scriptures and understanding what it means what repentance actually means, metanoia, okay, to repent and to actually turn around, and that's how your sins are actually forgiven, not through indulgences and things like that, returning back to the actual scripture. When that seed was actually sown, okay, it, it produced much, much fruit. Again, many returned to the actual scripture itself and gained an understanding of what salvation was from Christ alone, through faith alone, where that's when you had all the solas the sola fide, sola scriptura, sola via gloria, all of that came in during the Reformation time, returning back to it. But sadly, now we're in a time where there's not much fruit or productivity actually being produced. So even what it says is actually quite prophetic when you think about it. You've got a hundredfold being produced, you know, on the day of Pentecost, you notice when the seeds were actually thrown you know, three thousand came to, to the Lord on that actual day. As he keeps on going, it's reducing more and more and more. Like when you actually have a small number being produced now. And this is there's some passages in the Bible that you really have to ponder about. Luke eighteen is one of them where it said, When Jesus Christ returns, shall he find faith? Right? Because faith we know, it's impossible to please God without faith. And that's what he's looking for when he comes back. But he's saying, will he find it when he returns or when he comes back? So you can see, as a result of the seed being thrown, okay, that the amount of fruit that is being produced, or the amount of yield that is being returned, is being reduced all the time. And you should be able to see this if you look circumspectly, you should be able to see this within churches itself, okay? That seed is being thrown out, but it's not actually yielding or returning much fruit. Okay? So, what have we here? So, it's talking about four different types of hearts, okay, that receive the word. Every, we all fall into these categories, and that's why one of the greatest things that you have responsibility over is to be a steward over your heart, right? Because out of your heart flows all the issues of life. That's why it says, "Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence. That's what you need to be a great steward over. Okay, so the first soul that we see receives the seed, but it's unreceptive. It's unresponsive, why? Right? Because they don't understand. The way you actually start understanding the word of God is if you, in, if you, if you fear the Lord, the says, You will grow in wisdom, knowledge, and understanding if you fear the Lord. So if you have understanding as a result of you fearing the Lord, meditating and reading on the scriptures, you're not going to fall into the hard heart category. Then you've got the shallow heart, okay? When growth is superficial, um, and this is the emotional kind of heart, and this is where you have got a lot of churches like this and they're called the Seeker Friendly Churches. They, sit, they cater towards the actual emotion when you have the shallow heart, okay? Um, and we used to be one of them. And, uh, we used to be one of them. Everything was geared towards the emotion, okay? Everything was geared towards getting excited. So you get into church and everything was all engineered, and I'm going to use those words engineered, constructed, produced, in order to cater all your actual emotion. And believe you me, when you went in there, you were emotionally excited, okay? But when you walked away, or a couple of days later, you walked away, all that emotion fizzled away, and you didn't produce no yield or no fruit. And I have to tell you, the church was huge. And when we were there, that's the coldest I've ever been in my Christian life, okay? the coldest I've ever been. And I spent 10 years there, 10 years in the state of having a shallow heart. The seed was being thrown out, okay, but I had a shallow heart, and had an emotional response to everything that was being said, and that's what it produced. The shallow heart it didn't produce any fruit. So I walked for 10 years, a long time, a long time, not producing much fruit. Why? Because of... Shall heart and have a superficial response to the word because there's no depth in what was in, in my heart itself? I want to quickly go through this so we can get half-hearted, half-heartedness. Okay, not so much inward because but external, half-heartedness is the external issues of life. Okay, where the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches actually get a hold of you, where you start spending more focus and time on half-heartedness. Last time we looked at two characters, we looked at Abraham, and we looked at Lot. Lot was half-hearted. He pursued the, the riches of the world. Again, okay, the deceitfulness of riches. He went in. He, he he went into Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because the plains were beautiful to the sight, and that's what he chose. And as a result, he was half-hearted. Many Christians live in a half-hearted state. Okay, as a result, and the seed is going to be dying out. And obviously, the wholehearted hears the word and understands the word. Okay, hears the word and understands the word, and we're all wholeheartedly here, right? Okay, all of us we hear and we understand the word. And I want to just quickly go through that because this is what you need to understand: that the word is going out, and it's going to fall on the ground. You have to be responsible and accountable for the ground that is prepared within you in order to receive the word. So, first, the natural hardness of the heart is a result of opposition from Satan, which we're going to get. Superficial, superficiality of the flesh as a result. Okay? Uh, The attractions and the distractions of the world put us into that position. Okay? The emphasis is upon the sea. Very interesting if you look at this passage There isn't that much spoken about, or told about the sower doesn't explain his character, doesn't explain his personality. Okay, there's not that much, it just says at the beginning, a you know, sower came out to sow the seed, that was it, done. But it tells you a lot about the seed, the seed of the ground that it's actually falling on. Okay, the emphasis is upon the seed, the emphasis is upon the word of God. Now, something to quickly bear in mind, Satan is always after the seed. When you go back to Genesis 3.15, it was the seed of the woman that was gonna crush his head. Okay, but he was going to bruise his heel, the seed, and that's why you see when you read throughout the Old Testament, and you also see you read it in the New as well, that Satan was always after the seed. That's why he was always after to destroy. He wanted to kill all the children. Okay, in Egypt, that's why again you see that reoccurrence taking place um, at the birth of Jesus Christ, where again um, he wanted to kill and destroy all the children. but he was after the seed? He destroyed the seed. He won't have no productivity whatsoever. Okay. Jesus Christ he was, unable to, he was unable to destroy the seed that came the first time, but there is still a seed that is after, and that's the word. He's after that seed now. Okay, That's the seed that he's after. And that's what his intent is, is to try to destroy that seed. That's why the emphasis is on the seed itself. Okay? Again, it says, being born again, not corruptible seed, but the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. Various kinds of soils, okay. That's uh, so why I wanted to quickly go into that. Just that there is a responsibility and accountability on yourself to have your heart prepared to receive the word. Okay, and when you receive the word, so true. you've got to you respond to it. And explain to you that before the kinds of form. soils, and your heart can be in any one of those conditions, but it should be in the place where it is a good soil to receive the word, so that it can bring much fruit. Okay. Now... Some of you should remember this, okay, from last time. Do you remember I said to you from last time that, um, I'm not going to go into this, in remember I said that some of the biggest changes are taking place within the technology area, and within our culture, and ever before. Full stop, and ever before. Do you remember, last time, very briefly, we spoke about quantum quantum computing, about the D-Wave computer, about the music, prior to that, all computers were based upon Standard binary transistors that are letting be able to read zeros and one at any single point in time. Okay, now it reads zeros and one at the same time, making these computer a million, million times faster than any of the traditional computers that were out there. That's a that's a fundamental paradigm shift that has taken place within the technology arena. It's never been like that before. Okay, can you remember I said that you know if you have a look. Computing power, which is hardware, is getting smaller, but it's also getting faster, okay? But also what's getting closer to you is that the actual devices itself. Before, you had a personal computer, which was on your desk. From your desk, it came to your lap. From your lap, it comes down to your hand. From your hand, it comes to wearable. eventually it will come in, embedded into your body, and that's the way technology is going. And I know there are some technologists out there who are familiar with this and understand this, okay? But... What is important? Do you remember a last time we said, what's important? But hardware is coming this way. It's coming closer to us. Before we said it was far out, it was out in a warehouse, of, or not in a warehouse, but it was in a big industrial complex where nobody could see, nobody could know where it was, but it's absolutely huge. It's coming this way. It's getting closer to you. But the data is going in the other direction. The data is leaving the personal space, but it's going into the cloud. And all of you probably have probably been aware of the news recently with a scandal that's taken place within Facebook regarding Cambridge Analytica. Mm-hmm. Do you remember I said to you, what was the most important thing last time? I said, it's the data that's valuable. Hardware is irrelevant. That's just the means by which you can extract the data. It's the data that's valuable. You know, that's why they wrote that personality analysis, right, program. You know, what was it? It was purely specifically designed to extract all the data, put it into the cloud so that they can manipulate it and do whatever they want with it. And that's a big, huge scandal that has come out, okay? That's all they want. If they want the data, that's where the value is. It's not in the hardware device. And we'll talk a little bit more about this, actually. It's important because, We've got to understand the day and age that we live in, we right? We can't be ignorant. I don't want anybody in three years' time, and I'm saying three years, two years' time, said, well, this is a surprise. I never saw this coming. I never saw this coming. You know, you've got to be aware of what's going on and what's taking place within this day and age. And, and so you can respond to it correctly. Guy, last week, spoke about family. Guy, spoke about husband and wife, but he spoke about the family as well. Fathers, we're responsible for what comes into our house. All of us, we're responsible for what comes in. All the data, all the stuff that's coming, we're responsible. We have to be the filter. We've got to be the gatekeeper in terms of what comes in. But also, we're responsible for what goes out of our house, right? Meaning, what comes in, we're responsible for what goes out. Our children are going out of the house. What are we sending them out with? What kind of mindset, what kind of understanding are we sending them out with? So what comes in, we're responsible. But we're also responsible for what goes out. Our children, when they go out, they've got to go out with a clear understanding of the word of God. And also, in terms of what's happening within the world. The Bible talks about the sons of Issachar. You hear that term a lot. The reason why they are mentioned was that they understood the time and age that they were living in. Right? and great, had God-given wisdom so that they could apply good, godly counsel to respond to what was happening within their day to age. I don't want people to say, oh, I didn't see this coming within two years' time. I had no clue. I had no idea. Right? You can't be in that place because things are happening so fast and they're happening so quickly that we've got to be informed so we can respond correctly with this. Okay, and before I go into this, okay, so... Hardware coming this way, data going that way. The Cambridge Analytica um, scan which should be a clear example of uh, that's what's valuable and that's what they want. just a little example, So, is possible, right? so we, this is what's happening and I've, I've, I've got a little newspaper article there, but I'm not going to read it, but I'll explain to you what's happening. So, myself and Yolanda were in a and we with kids the other day. Um, so we all went to the gym, they came out. No, I came out, me and Joseph first, because we were out just like that, right? There. So gave me a good amount of time to pick up a few newspapers that were there and just read through. So I'm looking through the newspapers and I read that uh, there's an article about you know, the, the, uh, the Alexa device and everything else. Mm. And what it says is that, that Amazon has got a new patent now, okay, which is called the Silent Listener. The silent listener is, is that when you have these devices in your house, they get, it listens silently recording all your information. And what it does is that it takes certain words, it's, called, it's listening for what is called intent. So intent, right, that's what it's listening for. So if you say holiday, or if you say stuff, that's the intent. It, it extracts the intent, and then it will start sending you stuff about holidays and all sorts of stuff. Anything and everything, because it's capturing all the data and it's capturing all the information, and and that's what I was reading. Wow! I, I knew about this, but it's coming out so into the open. I was just reading the other day and uh, on, the, on the BBC website. Actually, they're starting to give free Alexa devices, okay, to households who have medical <coughs> issues, so they can just quickly call up and if they've got an issue and get the information that they need or get a response. Why would I say, because the hardware is irrelevant. It's the data and the information that is important. So here's something else that happened the other day. So me and Yolanda was talking about a, base. We've got a basement a and we was talking about what should we do with it. And Yolanda just said to him, well, you should build a little man cave, right? I got really excited. <laughs> I got really excited about that man cave and give me these ideas. I thought about and there was talking about doing a few things in the garden. The very next day, so this was on Sunday, the very next day, I got an email, I get on Pinterest. Right. It's like, that's what Pinterest. And it started talking about man caves. And it started talking about outside garden. And you could ask Agapes, Agape, the, gaffes, so the <coughs> I said, I said Agape, come here, right, come here, let me show you this, right? And I got it at 6 a.m. in the morning when I received the email. And I said, you know what, this isn't a coincidence because the word man cave is not a general kind of term in this sense, right? It's it's quite specific what we spoke about. And it's quite, and it cats up for somewhere it captured that information and it sent me an email regarding man cave. That's what it did. And about doing the outside garden and everything else. And so So I went through it, tracking out how it's done there. But what I'm trying to say, this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. Your your stuff has been recorded and it's been stored without you actually knowing. And I said that to them. and I said that's not a coincidence because man came as a very specific word. Mm -hmm. And then to link it to our discussion the very next day, that's actually what's happened and what's been happening. So we're going to get smarter because you know eventually where all this is going to go. So one tries is, we've got to get smarter in terms of the way we understand the technology, understand what's actually occurring, and what's actually happening in the world, especially this younger generation. OK, so, so, uh, what? Chama Sri Hakitaya, right, he's Indian, right, And I'm Indian, and I'm having difficulty with that name myself. He was, he was one of the, he was a former vice president of facebook and i think some of you you may see an interview him. you may see an interview of him again on youtube Where you go he was the vice president of facebook and he said that you know what they have destroyed the social fabric of society itself that's what he said And he said oh we've made a big mistake he's come out and said you know what that, the, that was the actual intent was to get all the information and to actually do that. But now he's apologizing for it. And the interesting thing he said that he said, I would never allow my children to use it. See, most of the, most of the executives within Silicon Valley itself, they don't allow their children to use this. None of them. You know, you, you go there and you ask them about this, they're not using any of it. Their children are not yet because they know the damage. They have read all the research reports. Okay, they know. They they, they've looked at all the reports. They've seen the analysis. They're not going to let their children use it. So why should we allow our children to use it if they're not going to do it? Look at this, right? So we all know that as a result of the Cambridge Analytica scandal, that Mark Zuckerberg was asked to appear before. Uh, uh, Congress, okay, and there was a few senators there, quite a few, and one of them asked him, Mark, where did you stay last night? What hotel did you stay in? Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of you probably you know what, you wouldn't tell him. He said, no, where did you stay last night? What hotel? And he said, I'm not telling you. He said, why are you not telling me? Surely that's what your Facebook is all designed for, isn't it? So everybody knows what everybody else is doing, so you can share information. Why are you not sharing your information? Why are you not telling everybody where you stayed last night? Again, they're not going to do it, but they want all of you to do it. And I'm going to get a balance to this, but I'm just trying to give you an indication of, not even an indication, but tell you bluntly what's actually occurring and happening out there. He's not willing to share any of this information, he even said it. And it put him in a predicament which completely collapses his whole entire ethos of his company about sharing information. He's not prepared to do it himself, okay? So, so that's what's happening, breaking down, it's that society itself, and we're going to get smart and wise up to this. That left, there's a level of narcissism that is coming to our society, itself. so narcissism is designed as excessive or erotic intent of oneself and of one's physical appearance. That's what narcissism is. That's the society that is actually produced now. It's a narcissistic mm-hmm. society only focused on self itself. Second Timothy 2 Second Timothy three, two. This know also that in the last days, perilous days and times shall come, for men shall be lovers of themselves. It mentions that first, that men in the last days, men will become great lovers of themselves. It, and that's exactly where we are. We're in a narcissistic society. People are um, complete lovers of themselves. I've never seen people, I mean, you you go to blue water, you just sit there and have a meal. Right? Everyone's taking face selfies of themselves, right? So, and they take about 50 and then they transmit one, or they send one, and it's one out of 50. And that's what they do, it's amazing that, they're showing a clip of all these girls at this sports game. And um, there's a group of them. And they're all taking selfies. They're not no they're not paying attention to the game. They're you know, all just taking selfies of them. And between them, they must have taken hundreds. Hundreds. We're living in a narcissistic world. I mean, you know, where you're taking people what you've had for dinner, what you're having for, you for lunch, and you're at this restaurant, you're at that restaurant, 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 you're doing this, you're doing this. And we're going to that because is that's, that's the kind of society. That it's producing, and we've got to make sure that we don't get sucked in into that. Okay. So I don't know whether some of you have heard the term FOMO, right? So these are some of the terms coming out, and It's it's the fear of missing out, mm. right? Fear of missing out. Where did that come from? It's come from this social or lack of social interaction, that that's actually taking place. Everybody's sending these pictures of them being at this fantastic restaurant, having this amazing meal, or this place, that place, and the other person, when they receive that, they feel like they're missing out. And that only does one thing to the psyche, it only does one thing to, to the psyche and to the ego. It deflates it completely. The fear of missing out. And that's where that's where we are as a society, okay? And it leads, to, it leads to all these, well, distractions and illnesses, you know, dissatisfaction, um, the effects on the physical, mental health, mood swings, loneliness. We've never had a generation <coughs> has never been so lonely. Has never been so lonely. It's a great opportunity to, to preach the gospel to these people because they're lonely. Okay? They've got nobody. And they they, they need somebody to tell them that a reduction of self-esteem, extreme social anxiety, increased levels of negativity and depression. So here's some things we can look at, right? Um, Eighty-one percent of us have a smartphone. I know. Jeffy, you have a smart one? Right, okay, I knew that was going to be the case. Anyway, right? I just wanted to know whether from January, right, whether things have changed. Right, okay, okay. So, 81% of us okay, have a smartphone that we have with the reach of us all the time. That we have within its reach of us all the time. That's saying something, right? That's same something, okay? Um, also, 90% of people reported, 90% of people reported that they had what's called phantom vibration. I'm just trying to show you the mindset that we have within this day and age that we live in currently at the moment, okay? Phantom vibration, so what, what is phantom vibration? Right, that's... So. Phantom vibration is that I've got my phone in my pocket, I've got it in my hand and I, and I think somebody's calling me all the time and I keep looking at it to think if somebody's calling me and I put it in my pocket, two or three minutes later, having a conversation, suddenly, and then the other person says, somebody's calling you. He got caught. No, I thought I had. Have you not seen that with people? That's phantom, vibra- That's phantom vibration syndrome where people actually think that they're being called all the time, and if, when they realize that they're not, somebody's not calling them, that they're not really that important, what happens to their psyche and to their ego? Right? And some are, and people are doing that frequently, putting this out, so many times during the day, nobody's calling them, right? Nobody wants a conversation with them, So they've got this phantom vibration syndrome, and that's what's happened within this day and age and this society, okay? Ramifications and consequences of this as well. Okay? so if you're used to living with your hand and your iPhone, there's <coughs> 10 minutes separation, you know it triggers an anxiety. You can't get your phone from you, from So It's addictive, right? So social media and all this kind of stuff is really addictive, and it's designed to be addictive. I like think it's completely designed to be addictive. The amount of psychologists that they've got working for them to try to make their applications or their devices even more addictive. I noticed I've been in the industry, like I told you, for a long time. Now, I start having more conversations with psychologists than with actual serious technical individuals, okay? and what you call SMEs, you know, subject matter experts. Spend a lot of time with marketing departments, psychologists, and, this, and that, just to see how you can make things more addictive and more attractive. That's what's happening out there. And okay, it's addictive. So this is what they did was, See, when you're addicted to something, alcohol, cigarettes, whatever it is, it gets, when you're addicted to it, you get excited about it, it releases dopamine within dopamine you. Dopamine. That's the same thing that happened. And this is how they worked out whether it was addicted or not. Okay, Is that when uh, somebody was receiving, when you send out text to loads of people, and you say, hi, 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 and they respond back to you, and they say, hi, 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 hi. Right, you know what? You suddenly get really excited, and your dopamine levels increase, and you get really excited. But when that does and happen, they, they measure, measure that, and they've done a of research it. around it. That, that's the that's same thing that, that happens when you're addicted to things like that, or when you're an alcoholic the drink or when you have a cigarette, it's the same thing and You again, get you can release, questions. and it becomes a so uh, That's why people are spending hours if you and hours on this. But they also did some research, I think, that you're actually, you're actually more sad when you go online and you spend huge amounts of time online and social media and things like That's that. What haste. happens is that you, you think you're going to come out feeling happy, you come out feeling sad, and it doesn't matter in this direction whether the direction is upwards or whether the direction is down. What I mean by that is whether you see somebody and you're in a better position than them, or whether you see somebody and you're in a worse position than them, you will always come out feeling worse. That's not true in real-life interaction, okay? We're talking about the egos here. When you see yourself being better than somebody else in real life, in real social interaction, you feel better, okay? It's the way the world is. But with social media, you come out feeling worse whether you're in an upward direction or whether you're in your a lower direction. Because why we're comparing our lives to other people. Mm. That's what we're mm-hmm. doing now, comparing our lives to all individuals. Your lives are being measured compared to not just one, two, three, or four, but just thousands. And you're telling me, out of all these thousands of people, that your life's going to be better than all these. It's just not going to happen. There's always going to be something that's more of, it's going to be better, it's going to be stronger, it's going to be more beautiful according to the image and the, and the viewpoint of the world, guess okay? somebody of hair hair's better, some who's got super abs, I mean. or Rome, whatever, Rome. You, know, you know? You know, there's always going to be something better out there. So you're always constantly in this position after being depleted, okay? And it leads to jealousy. It leads to jealousy, even within families, right? If you live, just, if you live far away and you see some of your families in different countries and they're doing better than you, right? It's got to provoke some emotions within you, right, that uh, are not good, like jealousy. And then you're going to live with that jealousy for the whole year because i have got a bigger half there, car, whatever. That's what you're going to be living with, with, that comparison. And more friends on social media doesn't mean you're a great person, yeah. right? It doesn't mean that at all. You may have hundred thousand followers or whatever. It doesn't make you a great person. Those followers have no real interaction with you. They're not your friends, okay? They're not your friends. You... They're they're not. They don't know you. They're they're pseudo-friends, right? Mm. That doesn't make you great just because you've got more friends. Now, I'm going to do this very quickly. They they did this exercise in 1960, so it's very old, but it's so much more relevant now. It's called the conformity exercise. So if you go on the web and you just type in conformity exercise, and you type in Samuel Lass, he did this exercise. And I wanted to do this because this is what's happening to everybody out there and you've got to break free from that mindset. Okay, so here's the exercise. They got eight individuals, like they're like eight individuals, um, but seven of them were actors. Okay? Right? So eight individuals, seven of them were actors. Seven of the actors were told what to do. Only one didn't have a clue what was actually taking place. So what was, ha- what was happening was, was that the actors were all, well, they were all put in a room and they all said, which line is equal to the line on the right? OK? So which line is equal to the line on the right? Your right. Um, okay. First, the actors all said it was right. They said, oh, the well, line that's equal to the one on the right is B. So everyone said B. Cool. Then they pulled out another card a different card. Then they said, okay, which line is equal to the line on the right? Then they said, "All the actors said it was A, right? So all the actors said it was A. So what do you think the individual, who is the individual, who has no clue, said? What do you think he said? Why? Why did he say A, why? Because he didn't want to be left out. Why? Because he wanted to conform. Even though he knew, he, it's called cognitive dissonance, right? Even though he knew that it was wrong, he was prepared to say that it was A, that A was right, even though it was wrong. That's what's happening. Again, there's a, there, this is happening even from a, a spiritual level, right? And I'll tell you, a, a, a personal experience of this, so we know some people who go to Hillsong, right? And you tell them about the Naked Cowboy. Right? So people who don't know about the Naked Cowboy, mm-hmm. at, a lady, at a woman's conference within America, right? They had a woman's conference in America, and they had their, the youth pastor, I hope I got it right, the youth pastor come out playing a guitar, with just his boxes on, but he had his guitar, but it looked as if he was naked, right? And that was the Naked wow. Cowboy. And he tell these people, Hillsong, Got a naked cowboy at their women's conference. Do you not think that's disgusting and that's just not acceptable for any church to be doing? They would say, Yeah, I disagree. Yeah, I, that's absolutely wrong. I disagree with it. And then you say, you gonna, You're going to do it. You're still going to do it. And they say, Yeah. So they're conforming to the A, right? That's what they're conforming to. Even though they know it's wrong, that's cognitive dissonance, right? Where there's a discontinuity between the fact and you not accepting the fact. Complete discontinuity, cognitive dissonance. It's happening in the spiritual realm. In circles all the time. A fantastic example is that yeah, we know something very personal to ourselves uh, within my family. and uh, You know, it should be... He'd say, all these money preachers are wrong for this reason, that reason, that reason. Yeah, I completely disagree with this. They're so bad. They're so bad that, yeah, you know, they're terrible. Right? And then two weeks later, which conference did you go to? I oh, was at that conference. Did you not just say that they were really bad and that you should never spend any time with them and that you shouldn't get be associated with them? What is that? Right? It's cognitive dissonance. You're not accepting the fact or agreeing to the fact, but you're not accepting it. But your actions contradict exactly what you said is true. That's cognitive dissonance, and that's and that's occurring in the spiritual. This, this, you know, exercise conformity is also within the spiritual sphere as well, even more so. And that's why you do it. It was Felicia's sister who came once, came on some time ago, Rachel, and she said to me, Jade, because she teaching young kids, right? And she said, what one of thing do you teach young kids? And I said, you know what? Great question, right? I said, what you should teach young kids is for them to become critical thinkers, real critical thinkers. And if you could impart that into them, right, that would be one of the best things you could give to them. Why Because you want them to apply that critical thinking also when it comes to the Bible? Right, because you're often really critical in your thinking. You know? Acts 17, Acts 17, 11, I think, you know, you like the Bereans who were more noble than the Son sort of the like. Light. So, okay, they searched the scriptures. They to see what Paul was saying was actually true. Why they were critical in their thinking. They didn't just accept the information. They didn't just accept A, because somebody said it was A, right? They didn't do that. They were critical in their thinking. And that's the way I said that we've got to become. Like I said, when I was in the church, I wasn't a critical thinker, what was like, I was like, I was, you know, I brought that, you know, the one who was uh, not the actor, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A herd mentality, right? <laughs> herd mentality, a spiritual herd mentality. Uh, prosperity is wrong, and, and, and what you're doing go going there, and he's you're going to the herd mentality. That's why like we need to start becoming <laughs> critical in our thinking. And apply, apply that approach to everything i'm saying you shouldn't just believe it you should test everything i'm saying yourself and, that, and that's why that's one of the most important things that you teach kids is to become critical in their thinking they don't teach that in schools anymore they took it off the they took it off the curriculum see I and mean, then philosophy is good and philosophy is bad in, in different ways I like think. It. but it's good in this sense that it teaches you how to think critically. It teaches you how to process information. It teaches you when you receive some information, how do you process it? Is it right, is it wrong? Okay, what do you do with that information? Kids are not being taught that. What they're being taught is this conformity, is just to accept what you have been taught and then just receive it as if it's the actual truth, but don't question it either. And that's why we've got to become critical in our thinking. Okay, so it is. so, this is interesting. When they, when they got that single individual to do the test by himself, okay, when he it by himself, they did this on loads of them. There's only 1% error. Meaning that when he was alone, when the individuals were alone, they always got it right, but apart from only 1% got it wrong. That's saying something. Okay. So also, when it was alone, but 75% got it wrong. They just conformed, 75% just went with the herd mentality. <laughs> <laughs> Going to the slaughter in one sense, that's what they did. We, we've got to become critical in our thinking and, and not be like that. And then you know, and then they kept on trying it. It's like to get reduced. Um, it's like to get reduced. But the other interesting thing there was no actual pressure either for them to get it wrong or get it wrong. There were no prizes involved. or okay? well, you weren't going to get anything taken away if you got it wrong. There was no actual pressure. Okay? But yet, yeah, they still went with the herd mentality. Okay? What it was was what is called perceived pressure. They perceived that they were under pressure. As a result of that, they actually conformed. And this is why young kids, even when they are in school, you're going to have actual pressure, but you also may be under perceived pressure. You've got to go against the norm. Okay, you've got to be different. We are children. The children of God are called to be different. We're called to be in this world, but we're not called to be like the world. We're not called to be like that. We don't, we're called to be completely different. It's called normative social influence. Okay, information social influence. Okay. So that's what that is. But Romans twelve twelve says. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, uh, that ye may prove what is good, and acceptable, and perfect, and the perfect will of God. We're not to be conformed to the pattern or the mold of this world. We need. Change, I mean, we need to so renew and change our minds so we don't become like that. Because everything is designed, engineered, and constructed for you to think one particular way. Before Parson doesn't mention this as well. They did this little research as well, that they got, they had somebody in the middle my phone, and he went in to do a very simple test, okay? a very simple mathematical test, a very difficult questions. And they took his phone away. Did a question. He got everything in right. They got every single question hundred percent accuracy, again and again. When the, they didn't have his phone. So what they did was they they introduced the phone, just put it next to him. Like okay, I'm using him, but it was on several. It was on several. Just put it next to the person. Do the same test. His concentration went down by 25%. Just as a result of it, him having it close to him. 25% concentration gone. Like that. Just as a result of having it there. Right, do you remember I said that? When I was left, he said no Earlier on. Then, okay, they started sending that individual loads of texts. Concentration went down 40%. Simple questions. Concentration went down 40%. And yeah, then they in the Lost all concentration. Because technically it's phone calls it, and then you just lost all concentration. Couldn't complete the test because he's continuously being interrupted. That's what's happening. So we've got to really I to understand, understand I what's occurring in our day and in terms of technology within society and well. <laughs> that we've got to really go back to the word of God and allow that to change and travel mind. And I'm not saying you know, we're at a place where it's incredible without this. Okay, homework is done online. You can't live without it. But what it does mean is that you've got to become more critical in your thinking in terms of the way you process the information, how you engage with everything out there. You know, it's a bit ridiculous when you see on people's phones and on their apps, they have about 50 applications. The first thing they do when they get up in the morning is get their phone and tap away on 50, 60 application and, and, spend their time. and that, that time is robbing you from reading your word and meditating on the word. It's robbing you and from that you're not going to get a word and you're not going med- to meditate on it. There's only one direction you're going to go. it's you know, only one direction that you're going to go. You're going to start. You know, eventually you'll get to a point where you'll actually backslide. Because that's what will happen. Eventually, it will get to that point where you will ask slide. Okay. So, First John, chapter two, verse fifteen, which is where we always read, really where our core text. And the reason why I bring all this is because you know what? It is so important for us to understand where we are in terms of technology, where we are as a society, where we are. You know, it's called, you know, it's called the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. We live in a, a technocracy now. That's where we are. It's leading and it's ruling. There's so much more I could say on, on just this subject matter, but if you want to discuss, <laughs> we can discuss this you know, later. But, uh, but I think, you know, even for the young people, we should have a proper, in-depth understanding of technology proper in-depth understanding of society, a proper in-depth understanding of the impact that it's actually having on individuals, how it's changing them. I mean, you go on holiday. If you're on holiday and you see other people on holiday and they've got young children, what you see is that the the iPad is the new babysitter, right? You're at a restaurant or you're on a coach or train or plane. You've got a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, they are giving the iPad so the parents can do whatever they want. And imagine what's actually happening to an individual child as a result of that. Yeah, and those, they're on holiday, right? You'd think that they would at least commit more time to spending time with each other, but no, give them the pacifier, right, uh, which is having devastating effects on the individual. Um, right? yeah. So if we can turn to 1 John chapter 2, Lest it be. Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust thereof, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof; and he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Mm. Mm. Just quickly, John chapter two is split up. John chapter two basically split up. First, it's asking you to picture your eyes upon our advocate, Jesus Christ. If we sin, we have an advocate, okay? And obviously, Christ is faithful and trusted to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then it talks about chapter from verse seven to eleven. It talks about loving the brethren, that we love one another. Jesus Christ said that, you know what, this is how the world would know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Loving one another doesn't mean that we agree on everything. That's just not going to happen, right? That's just not going to happen. But it does mean that we love one another, that we look out for one another, that we edify, that we build one another, um, just like family. And then, you know, the, the third part of it is, you know, verse, from verses 12 to 14, where it talks about the difference in terms of bringing of individuals and Christians. It talks about fathers. You have, it talks about fathers that they have known God from the beginning. And as a result of that, that's why we're the gatekeepers. We're given the responsibilities to decide what comes into our house, but also what goes out of our house as well. Okay, so, very quickly, right, so... You've got to get a clear understanding of this. The habit of the earth where we reside must not be cherished by a Christian as though it is our eternal place of rest or it's our actual home. And we're all aware that this earth is going to go away. Right? It's temporary. That God's going to completely remove it. And uh, we're going to be given a new place of it. You've got to have that clear understanding that a lot of people get involved in these social issues activities for we sake of planet, the planet the same And I'm not saying that would be disrespectful. Yeah, we, we, we do what we can. But you don't know, commit yourself to it. Right? Because most of, the, most of the things that they're asking you to do as a result of climate change, most of them is not even true. Like most of it, you have a look at the real data, and you have a look at the real information. None of it is actually true. But they want you to commit to it, to save the Earth. But, because they've got a utopian mentality that one day it's going to be perfect. And if you read the Bible, you know that that's never going to no. happen. You know, it was Thomas More who brought in the, coined the term utopia in 1561 as a place of fantasy, right? It's not reality. It will never work. So this is why, as Christians, we've got to have that clear understanding as well. That this earth is not a permanent dwelling place. That God's going to deal with it. Mm. Okay? That it's corrupting. Okay, it even says that if you look like at Micah 210, it says arise, rising depart. But this is not your rest because it is actually polluted. This earth is not a resting place. And we've got to come to a clear understanding of that. In fact, if you look at all the predictions that they keep on making, they're worse than the Jehovah's Witness, isn't they? They're you know, trying to predict the return of crime. Oh, New York will be underground, under you know, submerged under sea level within 10 years. So you've got to do X, Y, Z. You know, there's a big mess of hole in the ozone, it's getting bigger big and bigger. T- You've got to do this, this, this. All these predictions that they people on making that there's enough food to feed the world, and people are going to starve in 10 years' time, and as a result of that, we've got to do this, this, this. They're trying to commit you to all this, when none of it is true. When you, when you look it at that, when, when they were mentioning that 10 years later, people are bigger, right? And more overweight than they've ever been, making these predictions, and people are more overweight and obese than they've ever been before. Just checking. You know, there's, there's an yeah, obesity crisis that. anyway, so people are not... There is more than enough food. The only problem is, is that it's in the control of a few monopolies and individuals, and a result of that is just not equally distributed. You can resolve that if you like that, if you wanted to, easily. If yes, there's more than enough food to feed everyone. Um, right, so to have a clear understanding who the world... The world is under the dominion of Satan. That's who is under the dominion of it. That's why it operates the way it does, okay? That's why, for example, even many companies who are in charge of all the resources, let's just say, food for example, that they could drink the resolve that issue quite easily by distributing it, but no, it's the greed of money, okay, that makes them not much a distributor to control the masses. Okay, so the world is under the dominion of Satan. It says that he is the God of this world and the God of this age. That this age will come to an end. Okay, this age will come to an end itself. In John fourteen, faith and hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and he has nothing on me. Okay, You've got to have a clear understanding that this world is under the dominion and the domain of Satan himself, and as a result of that, he puts his individuals in charge, okay? He puts his elite, okay, small, minute number in charge and in control. They're in control of the world itself, okay? They're the ones who are actually calling the shots. Okay, members of the world? We're members of the world, we're in the world, but we're not off the world. Okay? But those who are not regenerated and those who are not born again, as like you said, are enemies of God. Okay? They're enemies of God, they're a slave to sin. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. They're born in their sinful nature, as a result of their sinful nature, they're only going to do what their sinful nature does. No matter how good you try to do it, you will always be sinful. Full stop. You're born that way by your actual nature. You might be honest, right, for a couple of days, weeks, a couple of months, but then come a short time later, you'll soon find out that you're dishonest. And as a result of you being dishonest, you realise that you're not perfect. What are you going to do? What what are you going to do when you realise that you're not perfect? It's going to show to you that you're a sinner, that you're corrupted, and it should lead you, you know, if you have the gospel preaching to those individuals that they need a savior. Okay? Okay, what profit then if we learn that the world is an enemy? We've got to resist the world and then we've got to overcome it. Okay? We're in a fight. There's so much more here, but I'm not going to answer. There's so much here. We're actually in a fight. Okay? Here we have a, we have an adversary. Okay? a seeking whom he may devour, does that mean that we're all devourable? You know, you'll you'll recognize that, and you will personally experience that very quickly (coughs) if you break fellowship. If you don't read your word, and if you don't meditate, again, if you don't surround yourself with the people of the Lord, you will find that very quickly, very easily through your own individual experience that you are completely devourable that your enemy will just swoop you up. And that's why it's his intention is to isolate you. So social media and all this stuff. There's a lot we can go into isolation, but it's designed to isolate you, to separate you from all others. And you can see that if you see people driving in a car, or you see them at a restaurant, there's no conversation taking place anymore. Okay? If you can do that, isolate you, then he can devour you. Okay? And I'm gonna stop here, because there's so much more that we could go into. <laughs> like, like, like I said so there's, a, there's here and then as parents we have clear responsibility and accountability for what comes in to the house and what goes out of the house that's our accountability that's our accountability and the Lord will hold us accountable for that and in order to do that we need to have a clear understanding what's happening and what's occurring within society we have got to be like the sons of Issachar, who understood the day and age that we live in, and it is going to get worse. It is going to get worse. It's not going to get better. The Bible says it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. But we need to be like the sons of Issachar, who understand the day and age and the time that we actually live in so we can again. go to the Lord, request an for wisdom and for counsel, so we know how to live in these day and ages. Um, I won't say what's going on in China at the moment, right, because it's just crazy, but it's an example of what is coming and what's occurring. And I you're not sad about all this, right? Because the Bible is saying that it will come and it will occur, but where is it coming? Because of the law. Yeah? How beautiful it is that the Lord would tell us and instruct us that all these things are going to come so we can prepare. The times that are coming. And this is all to do with preparation. I don't want anyone to be surprised at oh, nobody told me. You know, herd mentality, nobody told me. And I don't want nobody to say that. I want everybody to be fully aware that this is coming along. And you're going to be informed of what's coming along. Do your own research, be critical in your and thinking, get to your own place of understanding. Understand what's coming along and how quickly it's coming along as well. Okay? Let's just close the prayer. Father, we thank you and uh, we bless you. We well, thank you, Father, you've created a clear line of demarcation for us. You've told us not to love the world, neither the things of the world, because you know exactly what they're doing. If we have a love for them, what they can do to us and the uh, and the impact that it has have on our lives. Father, you know, we have no strength within our own to resist those things to overcome those things. So we come to you and we ask you for strength, we ask you for counsel, we ask you for wisdom, to give us the strength to live in this world that we're in, but not to be conformed to the pattern or to the likeness of this world, but to resist all that it has to offer, because all that it has to offer, Father, is wrong, is evil, and it's at enmity with you. In you, Father, to do what is right before you, to honor you, to magnify you. Let, I live up, let us live our lives right before you, Father. Give us the strength to do so by the of your grace and your mercy, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Um, if you've got any